Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we have written three dozen cookbooks at eight New York publishers. How is that even possible? You're good at since what we do. N- <laughs> since 1999, unbelievable. And we have a new book coming out this fall of 2023: The Look and Cook Air Fryer Bible. If you listen to this podcast, you know all about it. 125 easy recipes for the air fryer with 704 photographs. It is available on every platform right now for a pre-order if you're interested that would be spectacular it makes a great christmas gift when paired with an air fryer and it's out in early november just before the christmas season great hanukkah gift great kwanzaa gift great winter solstice gift can i give you other reasons to buy it all those reasons to set in your pre-order so it arrives when it can but we're not talking about air frying much yeah, this we will a little, a little bit because we're going to talk about fried chicken, mm. which does involve air frying it a bit. Can. It does. We're going to have a one-minute cooking tip, as is traditional. Bruce is going to interview Susan Jung, the author of Kung Pao and Beyond, and we're going to talk about what's making us happy in food this week. So let's get started. When you talk about fried chicken, you got to talk about oh my God. the best, the better. And even the better, better, best. Because even bad fried chicken is good fried chicken. No. No, it's not. You didn't grow up in the South. No, it is not. Oh, is there anything better than fried chicken? No. See, here's my thing. Bruce grew up in New York in a half kosher home, and I grew up in the South. And Wait, so, what half of my home was kosher? The half that ate bacon. Your father's parents. Oh, yeah, that wasn't my home, but Hashkover half, half kosher family. Half kosher okay. family. And your okay. aunt still is kosher. Yeah, and she is. anytime you say bacon, Bruce like hits the ceiling and goes crazy. Oh my God, bacon! I grew up in the South, so it's like uh, bacon. Yeah, uh, I don't have to go nuts. It's just bacon. Like, don't you have that every day of your life? So I think he's got the same thing about. About fried chicken. Oh, I, fried chicken. I, I, we had fried chicken. Look, I every, think there are bad fried chicken out there. No, we never ate KFC, but there was oh, a... There, what? Uh, I can tell you, uh, this Southerner never... I have okay. never, ever eaten KFC. When I was a kid, there was a place near our house that made... It was called Chicken Delight. Okay. And if you're listening and you grew up in Queens and you knew about Chicken Delight, you can... Join me in my exultation of chicken delight on our Facebook group, <laughs> Cooking Bruce and Mark. They would deep fry this chicken without any batter, without anything on. They would like throw the chicken in the deep fryer, and it was just golden and delicious. We would get buckets of chicken delight, and the really nice thing is they would also throw spare ribs in the same fryer. Oh my god! And we would get buckets of fried oh spare ribs and god. buckets of chicken delight. We, oh, <laughs> I grew up in Dallas, as you probably know if you've listened to the podcast, and. We went to a place called Young Bloods, and it was a place that just served fried chicken. In my head, it was all you can eat. It was a sit-down restaurant, wasn't it? Fast food. How and many toilets did they have <laughs> in that place? If it's all you can eat, fried chicken. What I re- mostly remember is we would go there after church on Sundays, and the line to get into Young Bloods. This tells you how old I am, because if you're from Dallas or around there, and you know what Young Bloods is, you know exactly how old I am. The line to get in was forever. I remember we would stand in that line in the summer heat for forever to get in that in restaurant. Food at all. Well, listen, it. great fried chicken is great fried chicken. Now, let's talk for a minute about air frying chicken because does you it can make, great fried, make chicken? fried chicken in the air fryer, and I think it does. 
But an air fryer is not the same as deep fried chicken. There's not going to be the oil water transfer that happens with deep frying. But there are ways to make it better. And we've discovered one of the ways to make air fried chicken closer to deep fried, right? When you make really good fried chicken, you want to have a little bit of a wet coating on it, like people do it in buttermilk or even barbecue sauce. But to do it in the air fryer, you can't put a wet coating in there. It'll blow off with the hot air blowing. I, so, don't, think, I don't think we knew that until we started writing a million air fryer yeah. books, that wet coatings, they either, the fan is so strong in the air fryer, they either blow off or they get waggly mm-hmm. and uneven. And then those waves that it makes are raw underneath the big waves and then dried out in the middle. So what you do is you take the chicken out of the buttermilk or whatever liquid you had it in, and then you toss it in flour. Yeah. Now, here's the trick, though. You can't just put that right in the air fryer because that blowing hot air will dry out that flour. It'll stay white. It'll be disgusting. You have to still give it some fat. So then you have to still spray it with oil, whether it's aerosol nonstick spray or a pump spray, and you have to let the flour soak up with oil. Right. Then you put it in the air fryer. So right. you're still getting some fat. It's not quite as right. much, but you can actually get a good fried chicken in the air fryer that way. Now, let me say that I grew up eating fried chicken every Sunday, not just at Young Buzz, but in the when I stayed with my grandparents, they were still making fried chicken, my grandmother, every Sunday after church. And I stayed with them a long time every summer. And she my, wouldn't go to the store and buy her chicken, though, would well, she? Well, no, when I was really young. <laughs> no, those were slaughtered chickens. Uh, but the, what she would do, my grandmother, is that she pan-fried chicken, which means she would put pans on the stove. And I'm talking like three skillets, four skillets. She would add Crisco, it was Crisco, into the skillets, but only about an inch deep of it when it was melted. Yeah, it's also shallow frying, right? That's it's called, called, yeah, shallow pan frying. Yeah. And then she would put all the chicken in a giant paper supermarket bag. And trust me, we're feeding like 13, 15 people here. She would put all the chicken in a giant paper supermarket bag. She would add flour, salt, pepper, and paprika. Shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. And then pick it up out of the flour and make it go into the pan. So there was no wet batter involved. She didn't involved. use the wet. And she didn't marinate mm-hmm. ever. And to well, she m- just killed those chickens. You don't need to. That was fresh and juicy and delicious. <laughs> my recollection, <laughs> a little bit bloody there. Uh, my recollection is that that is the finest fried chicken ever. And I would do this thing as a kid. It would the platter would go down in the middle of the table, and everybody would grab a piece. You know, when it was hot and all this kind of stuff. And I would take a leg. I liked drumsticks as a kid, and I would take a leg. But then mostly what I wanted is that everybody threw their bones back on that platter, and I would pick up all their bones and clean them. Ugh, I used would, food. You're gnawing on I used would, They food. would leave the best part. They would leave the cartilage backwash, with the fry on it. But you're getting everybody's backwash. It's my relatives. What Ugh. I care. I would eat all of the little bits off the ends of the wings. Oh, I just thought that was the best thing ever. And I would leave the bones in the middle of the platter just clean because they would sit there and then talk all afternoon. Oh, it's a whole thing. They would talk all afternoon, pull down the shades. And because my grandmother believed that only Jews made wine that was worth tasting, (laughs) they would pull down the (laughs) shades lest anyone see them 
get out a bottle of Mogan David and sit around the table drinking Mogan David and while I clean chicken bones for like two hours. So there you go. Why does that sort of sound like Woody Allen? <laughs> I'm not living under a roller coaster. <laughs> and the, the the cyclone is not going over my bedroom. So it's not quite Woody Allen. Okay, so your grandmother didn't brine it. But no. a lot of people brine their chicken because it keeps it juicier and yep. it's actually pretty salty. That's why I love kosher chickens because they're pre-brined yep. and they're very salty. So if you want to brine your chicken, it doesn't just have to be a salt solution, right? It could be any marinade. Any salty solution, but right. not just salt and water. Well, sometimes salt and water is all you need, and basically it's one and a half tablespoons of salt to every cup of liquid, whether that's water or apple juice, or even if you're using buttermilk, put a tablespoon and a half of salt in the buttermilk and let it sit. That will right. help brine it a little bit and make it even juicier. There's an osmosis reaction that goes on here, but let me say that if you're using kosher chickens for any reason, or your chicken says injected with a solution on the label, do not do this salting trick because this the chicken will end up yeah. way too salty. Modern chickens, processed chickens in supermarkets are often injected with a solution, which means that they're essentially injected with saline. So just be careful. But, but Bruce is right. Even if you use just barbecue sauce mm -hmm. as your marinade, and by the way, let me put in a plug for that, that you marinate the chicken in barbecue sauce mm -hmm. and then you coat it in flour and then mm -hmm. you fry it, it's delicious. But again, um, let me say that, that you should add salt unless you're working with kosher chickens or injected chickens. Another interesting addition to that marinade or that brine is to put an ounce or two of vodka. Because we all we, know we actually got this idea from Kenji Lopez Alt. That was his. That was his trick. Well, I couldn't think. Yes, Kenji <laughs> Lopez Alt. This is his trick, and it's actually kind of genius. Because when you boil alcohol, well, alcohol boils at a lower temperature than water, right? So the right. alcohol in that marinade is going to boil off before the water in that burst marinade. off, almost like tempura. So what it does is it creates more air bubbles in the skin and in the the batter and they get crispier so a little alcohol gives you bubblier crispier skin so if he so just to clarify this if he were let's say soaking his chicken in salted buttermilk mm -hmm. he would then add an ounce of, of vodka. vodka to every cup of the buttermilk interesting mm -hmm. and then and and then that way that vodka kind of blows off in the hot oil. And creates crispier bubbles. And let me also say that if you know anything about frying chicken, the oil, you need a thermometer to determine mm -hmm. its temperature. You do not want that oil to drop low. Mm -hmm. And by low, I mean below 320 Fahrenheit. You just don't want it down there. You want it up at 340, 350, 360, right? Along Follow the recipe. Area. Whatever the recipe tells you, use it. But yep. later on, I'm interviewing someone who's an expert fried chicken, and she gives me some tips about the oil and the heat. Okay, great. All right, so we'll save that then about the oil until we get to her. Before we get to the next segment of this podcast, let me say, as I always do, do that we have a newsletter it comes out about two times a month about that you can sign up by going to our website bruceandmark.com or that is m-a-r-k or cookingwithbruceandmark.com i as i always say will tell you that i have locked it so i can't see your email you can unsubscribe at any moment by dropping to the bottom of one of our emails and pushing the unsubscribe button i've set it up so that the provider mailchimp can't see your email and i can't see it so it can't be sold and put on other mailing lists if you'd like to know more about that find out 
about it on our website. And again, the content there is disconnected from this website and from our cookbooks. Sometimes it's just about our life. Sometimes it's about recipes. Sometimes it's about knitting because Bruce is a big knitter. It's about all different kinds of things. Okay, up next, our one-minute cooking tip. Unless you weigh your ingredients when you're making cookie dough, your dough is never going to be the same way twice, right? Because right. when you scoop up flour, right. you're never going to get the same amount of flour in that scoop, exactly the same amount, right. unless you weigh it. So right. let's say you don't want to weigh it. You're one of these people who say, no, I'm not going to weigh it. So you never know what your dough is going to do when it gets into the oven, right? Because it might be a little denser. It might be a little wetter. So here's the tip. Bake one single cookie first. That way you'll know how it does at your given temperature and your given time. And so you don't burn it or underdo it. And then you'll know exactly how that batch needs to adjust in time or temperature with cooking. Interesting. There's all kinds of theories out there on the Internet about butter and temperatures of butter and flour and sugar and what makes a better cookie. But this is all in case you're not weighing, which is basically our U.S. listeners, <laughs> in case you're not weighing and you're working So the other tip is weigh. Volume. The other tip is weigh. <laughs> but if you're not going to weigh, then cook one cookie first. I, I'm, I'm going to extend this one minute cooking tip too long, but let me just say that we were in discussions with our publisher for a brand new book. And one of the things I'm most excited about in that new book is that all the recipes, it has nothing to do with air frying and nothing to do with instant pots, believe <laughs> wow. it or not. Amazing. I know, crazy. And I don't want to say too much because we're, it's, this is early parts of negotiations, but every recipe would be by both weight and volume, which Mazel makes tov. me so happy <laughs> because I just want us to start weighing things. I saw a kid on TikTok, it's all kids on TikTok, right? I saw a kid on TikTok the other day say, and may I say, I was took great umbrage at this. He said, can we all just agree that when the boomers die off, we can finally go metric? And I was like, uh, dude, I want to go metric. This old man wants to go metric, so... <laughs> Don't just think it's the boomers. I am dying to go metric. Okay, off that. And off our one-minute now, 700-minute cooking tip. And on to Bruce's interview with Susan Jung. She's the author of the brand-new cookbook, Kung Pao and Beyond. Today, I'm so excited. I'm speaking with Susan Jung. She was the food and drinks editor for the South China Morning Post for almost 25 years she is now the food columnist at Vogue China. We're speaking with her in Hong Kong. She has a new book out called Kung Pao and Beyond, Fried Chicken Recipes from East and Southeast Asia. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Fried chicken in the U.S. usually means one of two things. Buttermilk marinated, bone in pieces, flour coating, shallow fried, or it's fast food, deep fried white meat chicken fingers. But Fried chicken looks very different throughout Eastern and Southeastern Asia, doesn't it? It's very different. And we use so many different ingredients and, and they can be used in so many different ways and so many different combinations. There's certain ingredients that are similar to different cultures, like fish sauces used in Vietnam, in Thailand, in certain parts of China. But the way that they use fish sauce in each country makes it taste uniquely Thai or Vietnamese or Chinese. So it's to me, it's a very in interesting area of the world to be covering. What's your personal relationship with fried chicken like? Are there any family favorite ways to make it? Well, it's actually the first dish that I learned to make because my mother made really good fried chicken that my brothers and I just called mom's chicken wings. So I've loved fried chicken since I was young. 
And when I moved away, you know, to go to, to university, I called my mother and I said, how do I make these dishes? You know, certain dishes like steamed fish and, you know, cooked vegetables or tiny style vegetables and also this fried chicken that she used to make and that we loved so much. So I've loved it since I was young. And when I used to write my food column for the South China Morning Post, I had to actually stop myself from writing a lot of fried chicken recipes. <laughs> I love fried chicken so much that I would write so many different recipes for it. And and I didn't want to be repetitive. I didn't want people say, well, I, I don't like the fried chicken, so therefore I'm not going to make this. Why are you making so many fried chicken dishes? <laughs> But then one of my colleagues said, Susan, you know, your fried chicken recipes do really well online. And as a joke, he said, why don't you write a book on fried chicken? And I, I thought, what a great idea. <laughs> so that's what I did. Tell me about your mom's fried chicken that, that captured your palate so much. I kept asking her, where did you find this recipe? You know, it's, it's very unusual. And she said she cannot remember where she got it. So unlike most of the recipes in my book, the chicken is not double fried. Double frying is a dish that was popularized by uh, Korean fried chicken, which I call KFC, but everybody gets mixed up with KFC, <laughs> uh, Kentucky fried chicken. But her recipe is fried once and then baked. Mm. So you can make it in advance, you can fry it in advance. And then, you know, right before dinner, you can just pop it in the oven for I think 10 or 15 minutes. And it's coated with soy sauce and rice wine, and it's cooked with ginger and, and garlic. To me, it's a very delicious, very easy dish to make, and I just really love it. You talk about an important technique up front that goes for most of the recipes in your book. You say overheat your oil. Now, that sounds scary to most people. Why do you recommend that? So if you heat the oil to 160 degrees and you add the chicken, it drops to 140 degrees and it takes some time to go up to 160. Mm -hmm. But if you overheat the oil to 180 degrees, when you add the chicken, the temperature will, of the oil will drop to 160. So you're frying it at the correct temperature. It's not overheating it to the point where it bursts into flames, where, where it's the, the flash point. It's overheating it so that you get the correct temperature when you actually fry the chicken. And then when you fry it the second time at 180 degrees, you heat it to 190 degrees, and then you add the chicken and it, it drops down to 180 or so. Most chicken fried in the South, in the U.S., it's made with Crisco, melted solid vegetable shortening. Is that ever used um, throughout Asia or what are the oils that chicken are fried in, uh, in, in your book and throughout East and Southeast Asia? I, I said in the book, I think that to use whatever is convenient to your country. So in Hong Kong, it might be peanut oil or it might be corn oil. You need any type of oil that will is a neutral tasting oil that isn't too expensive because you're using a fair amount of it. Mm. And then uh, which has a high enough smoke point so that you're not burning the oil. So therefore, I wouldn't recommend using sesame oil because the unique flavor of the sesame oil would be obliterated when you heat it um, anyway. And also it's expensive. Mm. So just use an, you know, a fairly inexpensive oil. I mean, if, if I had Crisco and if it were, you know, I, I, I think it makes really delicious uh, fried chicken. But for these recipes, I just tend to use a liquid oil rather than a solid fat. Hey, Susan, what's the difference between frying chicken in oil and oil blanching chicken? And when would you use that technique? Chinese cuisine has a unique cooking technique called oil blanching. It's where you marinate the chicken 
which is usually cut into small pieces, but not necessarily. And you dip it in the oil for just very briefly, maybe 30 seconds to one minute. And it isn't enough time to fully cook the chicken, but it gives it a really smooth texture, which has led to another name for it. It's called velveting the chicken. Then it's cooked with other ingredients to flavor it. So the marinade is usually quite light, it's, you know, salt and maybe oil and rice wine or or maybe some soy sauce. Oh, it also has uh, some kind of starch. Always There's always some kind of starch. And you mm. just very briefly cook it, take it out of the oil, and then it has a really delicious, very smooth texture. And like I said, you just cook it with other ingredients to finish the cooking. You say in your book that wings are your favorite part of the chicken. And you suggest a really interesting technique when you're using only that middle section of the wing, you know, the part with two bones. Mm. You split them in half the lengthwise. I've never seen that done. Where did you learn this technique and why do you like it so much? I actually saw this done at this restaurant in Bangkok called Greyhound. And I thought, what a great technique because it's so much easier to eat. Um, mm. I don't know if Greyhound came up with that idea or if it's been done before, but that's where I first saw it. And I like it because when it's the, the middle joint and you have to deal with the meat in between the two bones, which is, you know, can be quite difficult. So if you just cut it in half, you just have one bone to deal with and the rest of it is exterior meat. So it's just very easy to eat. I love that you're honest enough to start your chapter on boneless chicken breasts by saying you dreaded writing this chapter. Can you talk about that? <laughs> well, I think a lot of people in, in East and Southeast Asia prefer dark meat chicken just because it has a lot more flavor. But a lot of people in the U.S. prefer white meat chicken. And I remember going to a restaurant where you get half a chicken for a certain amount of money. And if you want only white meat, it's an extra $2. And I said, well, if I want only dark meat, can you take off $2? And I said, no. <laughs> and I thought that was really unfair. But people here do tend to prefer dark meat just because it has more flavor. And it's also not as dry and you don't have to worry about drying out the meat it just is fairly easy to cook but with breast meat it's so easy to overcook and when it, it's overcooked it becomes hard and dry so I dreaded the, that chapter just because I have eaten so much dry overcooked white meat so my way of cooking it is to actually undercook it. There's a technique that's common to cooking a lot of meats where you rest the meat. When you rest the meat, the temperature of the meat, the internal temperature of the meat continues to rise and it becomes fully cooked. So when you cook a steak, if you want medium rare, you take it off the heat when it's rare. And then if you let it rest, the residual heat will cook it to medium rare. So I thought, that would be a really interesting way to cook chicken breast. So I undercook it. So it's a little bit pink inside. And then when you let it rest on the cooling rack, it takes it to a perfect doneness. And that way it's not dry. Hey, the recipes in your book run the gamut from relatively simple to the super complicated nome guy. And I am determined to conquer this recipe. Tell me about the dish. Most of my recipes, as you said, are very easy. But this dish for me is a very important dish because my mother told me about it when I was young and she's described it and she said it's a banquet dish she's only eaten a few times and she said when you have your Chinese wedding banquet 
I will order it for you. And I never had a Chinese wedding banquet. So I was determined to make it myself. So I started making it maybe 10 years ago, but the times that I've made it, I mean, are just very few times. It's like maybe six times in all in 10 years because it is so difficult. You tunnel bone the chicken, which means you remove all the bones without cutting into the skin. And it takes me about an hour, but I'm sure if you found a butcher to do it for you, an old fashioned butcher, um, he'd be able to do it in probably 30 minutes. But then this tunnel bone chicken, you season it on the inside, then you stuff it with glutinous rice, which is mixed with Chinese uh, wind dried meats and dried shrimps and mushrooms. Mm. And then you stuff it so it looks almost like a slightly flattened whole chicken, you wouldn't be able to tell that it's the bones have been removed. And then you steam it, and then you let it air dry and sit in the fridge overnight so that the skin dries out. And then you deep fry it, actually, you fry it twice. And it is very difficult. I'm not going to lie. It's it's really hard, but it's really delicious. I am determined to make that. So you have eaten fried chicken in more places than I can imagine, aside from your mom's fried chicken, which has such a special place in your heart. Can you pick one or two fried chicken dishes that just stick with you as like some of the best you've had? I really like Taiwanese night market chicken. I'm actually very proud of that dish because it was the first time that I made white meat chicken that was not dry. It uses white meat because that's how they do it in Taiwan, in the Taiwan night markets. The Taiwanese version usually is a chicken breast that's been pounded. And so it's, it's a huge breast. It's like you know, if you watch YouTube videos, everybody on YouTube says, oh, it's bigger than my face. You know, it's it's actually not that much meat. It's just, just been flattened, so it looks really huge. Mm -hmm. I did it in smaller pieces just because it's easier to eat and it retains the moisture better if, as long as you don't overcook it. So I really like that dish. And then also there's the Typhoon Shelter Wings, which mm -hmm. is very special because it's a Hong Kong dish. Usually it's uh, typhoon shelter crabs or other types of seafood. And then I also really love the shrimp paste wings because that is a dish where I had to say to my husband, who's a Brit, is it too strong? Because it had to be good for my taste mm -hmm. and good for his taste as well. And he said, it's not too strong. Mm -hmm. So the dish was a bit of a compromise because I, I would have liked it a little bit stronger. But I think the way it's, it's written now is a dish that will please everybody. But if you do like a shrimp paste, you can add, add more shrimp paste if you like. From oil blanched chicken that gets stir fried into dozens of ways to the crispiest, most delicious wings to that amazing boneless stuffed whole chicken. Your book is full of fantastic recipes. Susan Jung, the food columnist at Vogue China, a uh, new book, Kung Pao and Beyond, Fried Chicken Recipes from East and Southeast Asia. Susan, thank you for spending some time with me and speaking about your book. Thank you so much. It was fun. It's so interesting that you would name a book Kung Pao and yet be about so much more than Kung Pao. I guess that's the Beyond part, It's the right? Beyond part. It's all about fried chicken. She has so many delicious fried chicken recipes in there. She's always been dedicated to make perfect recipes in her columns. And as she said, the fried chicken was always like her most popular column. So she decided... If she's visited a country that had fried chicken, she was going to put that recipe in her book. Interesting. Yeah. I, it's so 
fascinating back in the day when Bruce and I were much younger and, you know, we were uh, much younger baby gays and trying to stay very thin. <laughs> we refused to order, and we lived in Manhattan, we refused to order in Chinese food that was deep fried. I refused. You wanted it. I The did. first time Mark moved into the apartment, he came up to New York, he said, oh, let's order in General Tso's chicken from the Chinese place. And I was like, it was just deep fried gristle. You no, did. we're going to get white meat chicken, stir fried yeah, only. Yeah, white meat only, <laughs> stir fry only. <laughs> and we would say that. But listen, hey, it kept the weight off. So, you know, it now is a thing. Now I eat the deep fried gristle. <laughs> <laughs> it is a thing. Okay. Before we get to the final segment of this episode of the podcast, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, let me say it would be great if you could rate this podcast or drop a comment. Thank you so much for that. It really helps with the algorithms. You can go down to the bottom of the Apple page or the uh, Spotify page. I think that's actually at the top. The Google podcast, if you're listening on audiobooks or Amazon, you can find rating systems there. Doing so is the only way we are supported because we are otherwise a completely independent podcast and your support can be expressed there. So thank you for that in advance. As is tradition, our final segment, What's Making Us Happy in Food this week. Fishwife tinned smoked salmon with fly Jing chili crisp okay, you, packed in the tin. Oh, you got to go back. Okay, <laughs> explain the word fishwife. Fishwife is the company that makes there it. You so go. the fishwife brand tinned smoked salmon with chili crisp made by fly Jing, which is another brand. And they combine forces to put fly Jing chili crisp into the smoked salmon tins. Oh, my goodness. This stuff is delicious. We have become aficionados of tinned seafood. And I grew up on, of course, the crummy sardines from the grocery store that were tinned. I love them. Mm. Oh, mm. oh, it was a thing with me. I loved oh, – <laughs> now, don't judge me. I loved Wonder Bread and mayonnaise and tinned sardines. Oh, at least put cream cheese on that. <laughs> Wonder Bread and – I am a Christian. Wonder Bread and mayonnaise and – and ten sardines. I loved it as a kid. Fair. Um, but we became uh, enamored with Ten Fish years ago. You probably heard this if you listen to the podcast through a restaurant in Boston, right? Hale Dot Henry, and they are a wine bar, and they specialize in tinned fish, and they yeah. import them. And you can they go Im- there. They and specialize in Portuguese and Spanish wines. So you go there, and you get a half bottle of wine, or a bottle of wine, or a glass of wine, and they will bring you on a slate platter some open tins with the fish in it, a fork, and a bag of potato chips. And let me say that the tins they have are crazy. I mean, there are some up over $100 oh, yeah. a tin. Let me say that across the world, tinned fish is considered a delicacy. It is, and these, these fishwife tins of smoked salmon chili aren't cheap. They're about $15 a tin. Yeah, which is expensive. I just ordered a bunch because they're so good. Yeah, but I just I, I just can always freak out at three-digit prices on <laughs> tins. <laughs> What's oh, making you happy? What's making me happy in food this week is a drink that I love, and you <laughs> may not know this drink. It's called Sue's and Tonic, and let me explain this. Sue's is a very old French liqueur. I think it's actually Provençal, but it's a very old French liqueur. Neon green yellow. It's yeah, it's like, yellow. And it's 
it's bright. You pour it, and it looks like it's fluorescent. You know what it looks like? It just hit me. It looks like radiator coolant. Oh, excellent. It looks like antifreeze. Okay, anyway, it's an herbal <laughs> distillate. It's delicious, Susie's, but it is strong. It's gentian. Bruce says it smells like you mowed your lawn and drank the clippings. Mm-hmm. So it's very it grassy. It's gentian. And, but I mix it with lemon tonic, with Fever Tree's lemon tonic, and it is so refreshing. You put about, oh, I'd say the ratio is about what? One Sue's three to, one. to three tonics. Three ones to you, yeah. Yeah, one Sue's to three tonics. And it is so summer, so refreshing, so interesting. I love it more than I could possibly say. So if you haven't ever tried a Sue's, that's S U Z E, a Sue's and tonic, now would be the time. It's summer. Get yourself out on your patio or your deck and just see. Fire escape. Or your fire escape. And just sit back. That's our podcast for this week. Thanks for joining us and being on this journey with us. We appreciate your being here. And we appreciate you subscribing. We really do because it helps our numbers and it'll help you not miss a single episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.